You're listening to the Careers Talk podcast series, a Salt Studios production. Everyone wants to travel when they're young, and Lee Henderson was no different. In fact, he was smart about it, and he moved to the UK with the intention of setting up a building company to earn enough money to travel where and when he liked. But you have to have a certain level of experience to do that successfully. In this episode, Lee explains where he worked before his UK adventure, how he started a building company in a foreign country, what brought him home, and how he had to start all over again once he arrived. Lee, so you must have impressed where you were doing your internship because they offered you a job straight away. So you went into that. Did you go in confidently? Were you happy to be there? What was the lay of the land? Yeah, definitely uh, wanted the job and it was a big bunch of guys, reasonable company for the area. So they had three sort of divisions, they had a joinery section, a building section and a uh, construction section. And I was mainly in the construction. It was hard work, you know, up pouring concrete at five in the morning a lot. Not for the faint-hearted? No, definitely not. I, like, I loved the job I, and I really enjoyed it, but unfortunately sort of just over two years into that, they um, went bankrupt pretty tough times with high interest rates and a lot of companies were going back up. Nearly all my friends were on the on the dole at the time. Do you look at yourself and think you're one of the lucky ones early on? Definitely. So I think out of 50 friends, there was only a handful that had jobs. As a joke, we called ourselves the Bob Hawke surf team. But it was the times, you know, and I was lucky enough to um, get a job in surgery in the end. Pretty much ended up straight in uh, surgery in operations uh, as a theatre technician. No experience. Part of my job was setting up a lot of the building side of surgery, if that makes sense. So if they needed chisels or hammers or uh, uh, help prep patients, get patients on the table, help the surgeons, like a surgeon's labourer. Did you have the heart to tell those patients that you're actually a builder by trade? It's more the surgeons, actually. They used to think I was a med student. So they'd get me up on the light board and explain something and I'd sort of go, um, yeah, I'm an apprentice carpenter. So how long were you there for? Probably 10 months. Yeah, so a long time, you know, watched hundreds and hundreds of all sorts of operations. In the end, there was actually a um, big building project going on at the hospital and I got wind of that and they needed through some Geelong, trying to get Geelong going again because Geelong was so dead with employment. They had to employ someone local and it was a Melbourne company and I got wind of that and um, put in a resume and it was for a, a leading hand on a big section of the hospital. I was only meant to be there for three weeks, but I took it. I ended up staying there for a lot, lot longer. And they said, look, we'll, we'll keep you on, but the job's pretty much finished. Uh, if you want to keep on, you have to move to Melbourne. Just, I wanted to finish my apprenticeship. So I packed my bags and I moved to Melbourne and uh, started working right around the other side. Continuing my apprenticeship with them. In the end, I ended up coming back to the hospital and f- doing the final, the last sort of two months that I ran that on my own plus a little job in uh, Thornbury somewhere. I finished that and I was running two jobs at once uh, in my apprenticeship yeah, and did my time up there. How did you find life in Melbourne? Oh, look, it was different. I lived with family for a bit and then I moved into a friend's place that, who had a caravan in Ocean Grove who I'd become friends with and lived with his family for a while and then I'd met a partner girl and we moved in together and I worked up there. And, but, yeah, it was good. So there was a point, though, where you, you seemed to pack it all in and decide to go overseas. What was the reason behind that? Finished up in Melbourne, moved back, did a little bit of work around the coast and then uh, decided, I don't know, just decided to travel. One of my friends had gone overseas. I don't know, planted a seed, I suppose. 
if you look at the the generations now, traveling is is no big deal. Like everyone goes and does it. In your time, were you and your mate one of the rare two to actually go overseas? Or was it pretty common? No, there's only a couple of us that did it. Probably a handful of the guys did what I did. Uh, I probably end up being over there a lot longer than most, nearly five years. Well, sort of. What was the plan? Get on a plane, land somewhere, and call it home for a while, or was it a bit more organised than that? Not. One bit was organised. <laughs> uh, I didn't leave with a lot of money and I uh, had a car that didn't sell, so I left that with someone to try and sell, went on my own, pretty much ran out of money and the car still hadn't sold and I was still travelling. Where did you arrive first and where were some of the places that you saw? Oh, I spent a few months in Indonesia surfing and then um, landed in Germany. They nearly didn't let me in. I had no ticket anywhere, not much money. Then I met some Kiwis guys in the campground at the Oktoberfest and they wouldn't be quiet at night. So I ended up having a beer with them and after a couple of days they said, what are you doing? So in the end I jumped in the combi vans and travelled around with them for a couple of months through Europe and uh, ended up in um, England at the end of that. And then I thought, I'm broke, I better get a job, which was pretty easy. I made a f- one phone call and they said, can you come now? And I didn't even have I didn't even have work clothes, but I rocked up. To find that place, did you just go through the equivalent of the yellow pages and start calling builders? Yeah, get on the tube and just uh, rocked up and walked there and yeah. So no formal interview whatsoever. It's just we desperately need someone. And you've called, so you've got it. You've got it. Bang, get a job. Yeah, you could have done that every day of the week too. You could have got a job every day of the week back then. What was the role you went into? What did you do? Look, I just said I've got no tools. I'm a carpenter, so just chuck me on as a labourer. I got told to slow down a lot because I was work too fast. It was totally different over there. In terms of what? The building industry had been crushed sort of and everything was uh, agency work. So a lot of the companies employed agencies to hire people. So there wasn't like a boss pushing his guys to get jobs done. It was just really different. Everything was just whatever, take your time. One job we had probably 25 carpenters. We had two power saws and that was it. And we were framing, no nail guns. So... You know, I'd say to the guys, you know, three of us in Australia with our right tools would replace you all. We would have in productivity. But they didn't care. They weren't about productivity. They were about getting as many guys on the job as they could. And that was pretty common. It was jobs were behind schedule. Every job I went to was like that. Is that still the same over there now or is it fixed up? No, I think I think the uh, opening up the EU just changed all that. Like the Eastern Bloc countries moved in and, you know, I, I think it's changed a lot. So how long were you in London for? Off and on from 95 to just before the end of the millennium. Am I right in saying you did actually start up your own business there for a while? Yeah. So how did that come about? Well, because of the fact that not many guys had tools. Like a carpenter over there rocked up with a bag and they got there on the train. So here a carpenter rocks up with a car and a trailer full of tools. Completely different. So I thought, this is crazy. I'll get some tools. I'll get a van and, yeah. So there was no legal process that you had to go through to register a business or anything like that, or you just dodged the system as best you could? Yeah, just did what I had to do and got work and, yeah. How did you find that work? Word of mouth, start a job and then spoke to someone else and then that word just spread. So I ended up doing a lot of landscaping carpentry, so working for landscape designers, building like little mini bridges and curved seats and decking and different sort of stuff, which is quite good because in London it's a uh, pretty intensely dense place to live and when you're out in nice gardens, it was actually pretty good. Did you ever get to a point where you had a team underneath you? Yeah, uh, two or three guys that there for a while, just some mates that are travelling through and, um, you know, helping me out. And so how long did this business last for? 
probably a couple of years did that. And what was the, the reasoning behind shutting it down or moving on or moving away? I think in the end, London felt a bit, it was great for travelling. I'd done it for a long time. You know, I'd sort of go travelling for four months or six months, come back and then really smash out sort of four or five months of work and then go off again. But in the end, it felt like flying home actually after so long. It did feel like flying home because you'd been there for so long and landing back in Heathrow or Luton or somewhere. In the end, I felt a bit like there's no horizon. Everything's three storeys. You can't see, you know, vistas. There's nothing. It's like it's sort of hemmed in. And I think I missed the space of Australia and the, you know, it's pretty congested. And so that was the decision to come home? Yeah, I think that was it. I just I just wanted to get back to being near the beach and, you know. So how would you wrap up your life over in London, your business, your friendships and whatever else and your possessions and get back home? We went to, what do they call it, a, it a car boot sale and we went there with my van, all my tools and they picked over us like hawks. That was full on. <laughs> I was just like, I was like seagulls and everything just sold. <laughs> you could sell the car this time. Everything, it's, yeah, car, everything, like just everything just sold and um, was selling it pretty cheap too. So, and then basically just said goodbye to friends and yeah, came back home. What's some advice around doing that for people who are listening? Because, you know, that the, the allure of travel is always going to be there. And do you think an opportunity like that would still exist? Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. It still does. Now I've got someone I know now doing it now and absolutely having a ball. And they're based in the UK as well? Europe, actually, in France mainly, but, you know. Seem to be having a great time. Your advice there is just go over and do it. The experiences, you know, wouldn't take that back for anything. No amount of money could pay for that. All right, so you've lobbed back home. What do you do next? I had a partner at the time and had friends in Melbourne, so we lobbed in Melbourne and uh, rang one of her friends, got a job, sort of commercial company, but doing unit developments. I could see the writing on the wall that that company was not going to last. A couple of things happened, and I thought, no, this is going. And in the end, I left, and not a bit later, he went bankrupt. Uh, so I started working for a construction company and we did a, a lot of big stuff and uh, end up em- he ended up employing a lot of people and ended up with a big gang of guys under me and um, did some high-rise construction and, yeah, it was pretty intense but really enjoyable. Talk to me about Silvercon Constructions. That's obviously your business. What point did you arrive at that said, I've got to go and do this? I was building a lot of houses and I was getting frustrated with some of the people I was building for and they were unorganised and... That's the homeowner or the... Uh, no, so I was, I was I had a gang of carpenters, quite a few, you know, between 10 and 14 sort of. The building industry was going through a different phase. All the budget builders were coming in and really, you know, changing the market. So probably early days, builders built a house for general people, but that started to change and rates started to drop. So the amount they were paying you to put up a frame and do a lock-up and do a fix was going down, down, down. And uh, you had to smash it out to make money and there was less, maybe less attention to detail, you'd say, and less love for what you did. It was just put it in as quick as you could to make a buck. I know, things were getting worse and worse and more unorganised and it was starting to annoy me. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to get registered and do this myself. Did you think you'd ever turn it into a business or was it just something you, you were happy to do by yourself by and large? To get registered, I think I was thinking that way. I think I was thinking I'll, you know, do it myself. And in the end, I thought, well, I might as well do this. If I'm doing the work, I might as well sit in the seat sort of as well. What do you look for when you're employing someone? A work ethic. I do ask about schooling and year 12 and a question is gaming. I do ask that question. Look at resumes. Someone that fits in is really important. Someone that doesn't 
upset the apple cart. Someone with a big mouth can say too much and upset people and you get politics and politics can really upset it. Sometimes you have to remove people. If it's not working, it's not working. What are some of the some of the signs to you that it's not working? If they're causing issues with other guys, that's definitely something that sort of upsets a business because then productivity can go down. If someone's talking a lot and, you know, lazy and that's one thing you sort of, you know, you only charge so much for, so, for certain things and uh, it takes twice as long to do it, you're not earning any money, so, yeah. For students who are listening who are coming through, what advice would you give to them about preparing themselves for a career in your industry? In building itself, pick your industry you want to go down because there's so many you could choose from. All right, Lee, thank you very much for sitting down and having a chat and good luck with Silvercon Constructions going forward. No worries at all. Thanks for having me. As Lee says, the building and construction industry is vast with many different pathways. So, students coming through have plenty of options and that's exciting as you start your career. You're listening to the Careers Talk podcast series. Assault Studios production.